0: All right, uh, we we are in this series in Hebrews eleven, and so I would encourage you, if you have your Bible, uh, to open there this evening, Hebrews chapter eleven. And again, I just want to underscore uh, the importance of of us praying for what's happening um, in the world, uh, not only uh, for the nations of Europe, but for our own nation, and to for God's people, it's a, actually an integral part of the ministry that God's given us is to be people that pray. And, and I don't pretend to understand how a sovereign God works with the prayers of not-sovereign people, uh, but what I do know is that he tells his people to pray and that he says that he answers prayer. And so I'm content to simply, in obedience to the Lord, be a person of prayer and to ask the Lord to move as as best as we are able to do to to decipher the will of God, and then we leave the rest up to Him. Uh, But He calls His people to be people of prayer, and I I want to, again, encourage you to be praying uh, for all of these people. all of these situations uh, that we are seeing in the world today. And to also be praying not just in your head, but out loud (laughs) with your families. To be praying together as families about these things, about these matters. It's part of how we train our children in the faith. It's part of how we teach them to pray is by praying with them. Amen? So Hebrews chapter 11, and we've been talking about, what is Hebrews chapter 11 about? Faith. We've been talking about faith and what faith looks like. And, of course, faith is incredibly important. Uh, The Bible says that the just shall live by faith. So we are to live by faith every single day. And at the beginning of the chapter, we have this definition of faith where he says faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things hoped for, not seen or the evidence, the belief in things that we don't see, that's faith. And while the definition of faith is, is clear, it's there, uh, it, it's more easily understood when we see it in action, when, when we see what it actually looks like. And so the writer of Hebrews doesn't just give us this verse-verse of what faith is, in fact, he then spends the next uh, 38, uh, 39 verses showing us what faith looks like. So we have the definition of faith, but then we see faith in action, and, and that's what we see is that faith actually manifests itself. It manifests itself in confident obedience to God's word, in spite of circumstances, consequences or outcomes. And so last week we looked at Abraham and Sarah's faith and how they trusted in God and trusted in what God said and trusted in God's word in spite of the circumstances. The circumstances didn't look good for Abraham and Sarah to have a baby. But God had promised them a a son. God had promised them that not only would, would they have a son, but that through their seed, through their offspring, through their line and lineage and heritage, that all of the nations of the world would be blessed. And we today are experiencing that blessing because Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that promise. And if we are in Christ, then we are share, we share in that blessing that God made to Abraham of all the nations of the world to be blessed. And so He's walking through, we've been walking through, we looked at Enoch, we looked at Noah, we looked at Abraham and Sarah, these he- heroes of of the faith and how they took their faith and put it into action. In fact, we're going to see through this series about 20 or so examples of faith that shows us what faith looks like. And so, But the big idea for all of us is that we, are to, we need to live by faith, that God's people have always lived by faith, and we likewise have been called to live a life of faith. And so this evening we're in verses 13 through 16. And it is in the discussion of Abraham and Sarah, but but he, he goes on a little bit of a a little bit outside of their story and, and talks about a, a larger story. And then in verse 17 he goes back to Abraham. But tonight we're looking at verses 13 through 16. And so let's just read these together. He says this about those who lived by faith. He says, these all died in faith, not having received, not not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, remember Abraham was called out of the Ur of the Chaldees. He he left everything behind him. And it says if he had been thinking of the land he had been called out of, he would have gone back. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Father, we thank you for your word. Speak to our hearts tonight as we dive in. Encourage us. Show us how to live by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So it's interesting to me that he's been talking about living by faith, living by faith, living by faith. What, uh, uh, how Abel lived by faith and offered up a sacrifice to God, how Enoch lived by faith and, and walked with God, how Noah lived by faith and built an ark and saved humanity, how Abraham and Sarah lived by faith and, and fathered a, a, a miracle baby. But then he transitions from living by faith to dying in faith. makes us transition from living. To dying, It says these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Now, death is a horrible thing. Death is, it, it is the worst. And I know we use that phrase a lot. You know, we get stuck in five minutes of traffic. This is the worst. But death literally is the worst. It's this inevitable, impending moment in in everything that is living when it ceases to live. Life is from God. Life is a gift from God. Everything that is living is living because it shares in the life of God. God is the author and giver of life. And so the the ceasing of life, the ending of life, it is in many ways an anti-God thing. It it is a horrible, horrible thing. And it, it wasn't God's original plan. It wasn't God's design. When God created the world, there was no death in the world. God had told Adam and Eve That if you eat of this tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And when they sinned against God, death entered into the world. Rebellion against God manifested in sin. And when sin is full grown, it produces death. It's the result of sin. And the Bible says that all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. And so therefore, all of us who have sinned, and that is all of us, we will die one day. And death is the moment in life when everything has failed. When when death enters the picture, it's because everything has failed. Every sub- structure, every support structure for life has failed. Every medical procedure, every treatment that was, was being done and, and being attempted to save and preserve life, it has failed. The attempts to sustain life have failed. And, and death is even the moment when your own body itself has failed. But this statement here, verse 13, that these all, when they approached death, when they came to the moment when everything failed, that they died in faith, I think this is the greatest statement you can ever say about anyone. Because when all else failed, their faith held fast. When when everything went wrong, when, when every procedure, when everything to, to sustain life, when every structure, every, everything that we do to stay alive every day has failed, everything has gone wrong, still these people held their faith, their faith held strong. It is no small thing to die in faith. That's no small thing. To hold on to God so tightly in life that when you approach death your faith holds strong. Now it's one thing to have faith in God. It's one thing to trust God when everything is going well. It's one thing to trust God when life is good. But it's another thing altogether to trust God when life is bad. And Folks, sometimes life is bad. Sometimes life is really hard. God is always good, but that doesn't mean life will always be good. Sometimes life is incredibly difficult. And so the writer of Hebrews is showing us that faith, a life of faith, continues on. It holds on to God so tightly that it even transcends into the moment of death. To die in faith is to hold on to the promises of God to the very end. Now these that he's talking about, God had been with them, he had made promises to them, and and they had received a great deal. You look at Abraham, well, he had received his son Isaac, but he hadn't received the promised land yet. That land was still promised land. He he didn't own it yet. His descendants hadn't inherited it yet. All of the nations had not been blessed through him yet. Kings hadn't arisen through uh, his bloodline yet. These are all promises that God had made. And they had received a great deal, Abraham and Sarah, but they had not received the fullness of the promises. But it says that they saw them. It says, they died in faith, having not received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar off. The language here is is the the language used of, if if you see a friend, you know, a long ways off, I I know that's kind of a a situation that maybe we can't really relate to that much because we don't live in that kind of culture anymore, but... You have to put yourself in the writer of Hebrew shoes in, in, you know, first century culture. Um, You didn't pull up to somebody's house in an automobile and then text them, I'm here. Uh, It didn't didn't work that way. You you would have waited and looked and and you would have seen them coming. And and then you would have greeted them even while they were far away. And and he says that, that Abraham and Sarah and the people of faith, that they saw it. Not with their natural eyes, but that faith had somehow touched their eyes and faith had somehow opened their eyes. And and though they did not see it with their natural eyes, they believed it in their spirit and they received it and believed it to be true. And he's saying that that is what faith is. They were persuaded of the truth even at the point of death, even at the point where God had made promises to them that they had not yet seen with their natural eyes. They still held on to God in faith. This is what it means to live a life of faith. To live a life of faith is is to live in such a way that even when we get to the end, even if we haven't seen all that we had hoped to see, even if it feels as if God has not kept His promise, we still hold on to the Lord in faith, being convinced that He will keep His promise. They were persuaded They were persuaded. So the question that lies before us is, are are you persuaded of the promises of God? Now, of course, we know the great hope that we have as Christians is is the return of Christ and the resurrection of the dead. That all who have died in Christ, all who have died in faith, will be raised to new life. That the mortal will will put on immortality And that we will live forever with Christ in His kingdom, world without end. Are you persuaded of that promise? Do you believe that promise to be true? Even though you don't see it with our natural eyes, even though what we see here and now is physical and natural death. When we see that, do we hold on to the promise of the resurrection? Do we hold on to the hope that we have in Christ? That's what it means to live by faith. To live by faith. They greeted them. They they saw it. Have you seen the hope of the resurrection? Is that what you cling to? Is that what you hold to? Or do you hold to the hope of the stock market? Do you hold to the hope of them figuring out how to run the government in Washington, D.C.? I'd be happy if we could just figure it out in Austin, to be honest. San Antonio, hey, let's start there. You know, like, where is your hope? It, it, where does your hope lie? Is it in the promises of God? Is it in, is it in that place, that, that, that resurrection of the dead? Or is it here in this life? You know, this passage uh, really was the first passage that the Lord used in, in my heart to bring healing to my heart when my dad passed away, my dad passed away uh, this coming May. It'll be 10 years uh, from when our pastor and, and my dad passed away. And I, I, I was so, you know, distraught and hurt because I, there, was, there were things that my dad was hoping to see in his life that he didn't see. There were things he was believing God for that he didn't see with his natural eyes and ministry and and the kingdom expanding. And and he he, he lived such a life of faith. And and the fact that he didn't live to see what he had hoped to see was a great discouragement uh, to me personally. But then this passage, it, it showed me that all of God's people die in faith. We, we all, when it comes time for us to die, and the Bible says it's appointed unto everyone wants to die. I know this has kind of been a, quite a Sunday a Destiny. I taught on false teachers on Sunday morning and talking about death tonight. But, but there is a point where we, we're all going to die. And, and I guess I should just say that, you know, um, we need to face, we have to face reality we, we, we're not living in, in Neverland. Like, we, we need to be able to face reality and face the fact that one day all of us will die. And when we come to that point, are we going to die in faith? You know, I believe that my dad died in faith. I know that he did. And Abraham died in faith, but they didn't receive everything that had been promised to them. And it brought so much encouragement to my heart to see that this is how all of God's people die in faith, waiting, still waiting for our faith to become sight, still waiting for the promise to be manifest, dying in faith, holding on to the promises of God. But then he transitions from dying in faith to living by faith. So let's get off of death, let's get back on to living. But I would submit to you that if you're not living by faith, you will not be dying by faith. Your life has a trajectory. All of our lives are heading in a direction. And it's very unusual for, for the trajectory of your life when you've lived a certain way for 30, for 40, for 50, for 60, for 70, for 80 years, and your life has been headed in one direction, it's very unusual for all of a sudden there to be some sort of 180 at the end of your life. In fact, the the longer you live, the harder it is to change. Have you found this to be true? It is true. I've figuring this out more and more. It's harder and harder for me to change. I, I find myself in certain patterns of life that I have a hard time breaking out of. One is eating Mexican food on Sundays. I just, it's almost a religion at this point, part of my faith, but there's certain patterns of, of life, and if we're not living by faith now, we should not think that we will die in faith. We, we should not think that when that day comes, and it is coming, And none of us know when it would be. None of us is promised tomorrow. In fact, the Lord could require your life at any moment. Or He could descend from heaven. And history would be over at any moment. And so the best way to know that we will die in faith is to actually live by faith. Every moment of every day. And that's how I could say confidently that I know that my dad died in faith because he lived by faith. He walked with the Lord every single day. When the Lord called him home, he was ready to go home. We're not always given a warning. We're not always given an opportunity to, to make things right. We need to live that way. And so he goes on to talk about how they, how they lived, that they, they saw these promises, that they were persuaded in their heart that God was true and that God would keep them. But they acknowledged now onto their living. How did they live? They acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. This is how people of faith live, as strangers, as exiles. The world is not our home. Heaven is our home. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. This is something that we need to remind ourselves of every day. It's an important distinction that the Lord Jesus gave for us, laid down for us. I'm going to go and read you a passage from John chapter 17 Jesus' high priestly prayer, the prayer he prays the night before he goes to the cross. He prays for his disciples who are there with him. and, And then he prays for us, those who would come to faith through their witness. And in verse 14, Jesus says this of John 17. He says, I have given them your word. Praying to the Father, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. You want to get a big backlash from the world? You know what you should start doing? Sharing what the word of God says. You want to see the world come out with you know, fangs and teeth. You just start sharing what the Word of God says. Pick your subject. Pick any subject you want and just start sharing. Well, well this is what God's Word says about this. And I mean, out of the woodwork, you know, the, the uh, Smeagol turns into Gollum like, you know, on Lord of the Rings. Anyway, if you haven't seen Lord of the Rings, it doesn't matter. But there's this lashing out. Why? Well, we have the Word of God. Delivered to us by God himself. And the world hates us. Hates us because we are not of that system. In fact, Paul says that everywhere he goes, he spreads Christ and he preaches Christ. And that Christ is, to those who are receiving the word of God, the aroma of life. But to the world, to those who reject Christ, the gospel message, the word of God is the aroma of death. Death. It it reminds them of the death and the decay. It reminds them of the future judgment of God. Things that people don't want to think about. We don't like thinking about death. And we all know that when we die, we're in paradise. Right? That's what we know. But even, even we knowing that, when I start talking about death, it's like, man, this is kind of heavy duty. Much less if you know that when you die, you're not going to paradise. It's the stench of, of death. The world hates this idea. The world hates this notion. And because we hold on to it, we will be hated by the world. In verse 15, he says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, praying for his disciples, his followers, but that you keep them from the evil one. So the Lord's prayer for us is not that we would isolate ourselves, not that we would go and, you know, start our own Christian community out on some compound somewhere and, uh, you know, let's all go and just hunker down and bunker down and start a cult or something like that. That is not God's design and plan for his people. His plan is for us to stay in the world, but he prays for us that we would be kept, preserved from the the attacks of the enemy, from the evil one. That though we are in the world, that we would be preserved from the world from the death and the decay that is around us. Verse 16, he says, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. That word means set apart to make holy. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. So God's people, what, what's, what sets us apart from the world... What, what is the, the, the dividing line between us and the world, what sanctifies us, is the truth of God's Word. Amen. This is how we live. This is what we hold on to. The truth of the Word. We are set apart from the world by the Word of God, by the truth. And there is truth. There is true and there is false. I know we live in a postmodern society that rejects even the notion that there is such a thing as truth and if there is such a thing as truth that it could even be understood or or known. But that, that is not a biblical idea. That is a satanic and demonic idea. The fact is there is truth, there is lies, there is real, there is false, there is good, there is evil and we can know what it is. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. In verse 18, he says, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. And so we are strangers and exiles. This world is not our home. This world is passing away. Now, there are many wonderful things in this world to enjoy. Family, faith, enchiladas. Someone should make a t-shirt. These are wonderful things to enjoy. There are many, many blessings in this life, but ultimately, this world is not our home. Ultimately, we are strangers and we are exiles. And he says that God's people have always thought about themselves in this way. What this means is that we have a culture that is distinct from the culture that is around us. We have a way of thinking. We have values. We we have presuppositions. We have a worldview. We have a lens that is altogether different from the people around us. Why? Because we have a biblical lens. We evaluate everything according to the truth. This can be very frustrating to people who do not want to submit to the truth, who do not want to submit to Jesus Christ. We get labeled all kinds of things. Closed-minded is one of the things that uh, we get labeled as. I have no problem with people saying that I'm closed-minded. There are certain things that it's just good to be closed-minded about. You know what I'm closed-minded about? I'm closed-minded about cancer. I'm I'm not open-minded to the virtues of cancer. So there are certain things to be closed-minded about. No no matter how much somebody would try to convince me of the virtue of the goodness of cancer, I'm never going to come around to that. Don't even start talking to me about that. So, So there are certain things that we're just, the book is closed on. There's no debate on I'm I'm closed-minded on child abuse. Not open to it. Not 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 you know, call me closed-minded all you want. Abusing a child is evil and should be stopped. I'm I'm closed-minded on people who would abuse a child in in a in a very personal way. And I, I don't want to use a word here, but 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 there are certain people that uh, uh, are very perverse in their abuse of children. And do you know that there are people who advocate for that as an orientation today? Did you know there's a whole movement of people that say that that's just their orientation. They're just, that's the way they are. It's evil. I am not open-minded on that. I don't care if that's your orientation. I'm, I'm orientated to snuff you out if that's your orientation. To stop that evil from perpetrating itself in the world. and tell you that God loves you in the process and there's grace and mercy. But if, if, if someone is going to continue in evil, it, 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 is, it is ultimately, I don't want to get too political, but it's the job of the state to stop evil. That's their job, Romans 13, to punish evil and to reward good. That's God's government, His design for the state. Okay, sorry. Uh, strangers and exiles. We are strangers and exiles. We, what, what sets us apart from the world is we hold to the word of God, we are closed minded on what this is closed-minded on. If this says this is evil, hey, guess what? It's evil. If this says it's good, guess what? It's good. God is the creator. He is the author. He is the one who is able to define what is good and what is evil. And thankfully, he has written it down for us. We have his word. What a great supreme blessing. We don't have to wander around, stumble around, trying to figure out what it is for ourselves. We have his word revealed to us clearly. In the world, not of the world, we must be very careful that we do not allow the world's thinking to influence our thinking. The taking of the life of the unborn, evil in God's sight. Reprehensible in God's sight. Amen. A, a man laying with a man the way he would lie with a woman. Evil in the eyes of God. And, and <laughs> what happens to a nation who who continues rebelling against God in, in wicked behavior is ultimately God brings judgment upon that nation. And I believe that we are starting to see the judgment of God in our nation. And it's designed to turn a people back to himself. I believe that you see that. I believe that that's why you're here on a Sunday night. Because you see the decay. You you, you see the depravity. You see the direction that the world is heading in. And you say, I want something better. I don't want to be a part of that system. So we are marked off from the world. We are strangers and we are exiles. What that means is that ultimately we don't make this place our home. We are simply passing through. We don't hold on to what this life has to offer so closely that we lose sight of the fact that we are looking for a better country, as he puts it here. A better country. That is, he says in verse 16, a heavenly country. One, Abraham and Sarah, the patriarchs, the, the faithful people of God throughout the millennia, the church have we've all we've always lived with this mentality that we are strangers, that we are exiles, that we are marked off from the culture, though we are in the world, called to minister to the world, called to be salt and light in the world. We're not of the world. We don't think like the world. We don't talk like the world. We don't value the things that the world values because our lives have been marked off by the word of God. And that we are seeking something better than this life a better homeland, a better country, a heavenly home, a city that God is preparing for us. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says that our citizenship is in heaven, and from heaven we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When we live lives according to God's word, we show, we show that we are valuing that country. We show that we are looking forward to that city, the kingdom of God. When God's kingdom, if, if you will quickly, Revelation uh, chapter 21, the very end, Revelation 21, John, the vision he says, sees, he says, after all of the, the chaos, all of the things that have happened in the book of Revelation, Revelation 21, verse one, he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away and the seas were no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be Listen, this is what we are seeking. This is what we are holding on to. This is what we see, not with our natural eyes, but with our spiritual eyes. We believe this. We we greet it, as it were, from a long ways off. The Lord has given us eyes to see, and we believe these promises, and we hold on to them. Our citizenship is from heaven. Though, of course, we have natural citizenship, our ultimate passport is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And so while we are here, we are exiles, we are strangers, we are foreigners, we speak a different language, we have different customs, we have different values, we have our own culture, the culture of heaven. And when you live according to heaven's culture, you are showing that you are looking forward to that new city, that place that has been prepared for us. When we live according to heaven's culture, and again, I believe you being here tonight is an expression of the fact that you are looking forward to that heavenly city. When we teach and train our children in the faith, we show that we're looking forward to that heavenly city. We show that we are wanting them to be there with us, amen? amen? That we don't want to be there without them. And so we teach and train them and raise them up in the faith. We must not hold on so tightly to the things of this life that we lose sight of the fact that we are just passing through. This is what it means to live by faith. We need to be looking for that city. We we need to now begin to institute in our families and in our church that culture, that kingdom culture, according to the Word of God, knowing that it is the gospel that will save our souls, knowing that it is the gospel that will save our families, knowing it is the gospel that will save our community, knowing it is the gospel that can even save our nation, and turn our nation back to God. But let me tell you, what, what, what will make no difference whatsoever is if all the believers in America just live like everybody else. It's not going to make any difference whatsoever. If, if we just try to blend in and we, we try to adapt ourselves to the culture of the world, we're going to make no difference whatsoever. This thing's just going to spiral way out of control. But it's when God's people stand up, Amen. share the word, in love, in love, in kindness, but not wavering on the truth, it makes a difference in our world. We shine that light and we shine it brightly. Amen. Let's stand together. I invite the worship team uh, to come. and As they're coming, let's just go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, help us to be a people who are marked off from the world. Lord, though we are in it, though you've called us to reach the people of the world, you've you've called us to be a part of a different kingdom. You've called us to be a part of a different family. You've you've given us your word that, that sanctifies us. Lord, I pray that you would sanctify us in the truth. That you would help us to be people that live according to your word that follows none other but you, that has our ultimate allegiance, Lord, to not to any one person or not even to a nation, but our ultimate allegiance is to you, our King. And so, Lord, that we would live as exiles, that we live as strangers and and foreigners, passing through, looking for something better, because, Lord, you have something better for us. Lord, our great hope is that resurrection, the resurrection of the dead. Lord, that great hope that you've promised to every believer. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live by faith. And Lord, Lord that when our time comes, that you, we would also die in faith, awaiting, Lord, the great moment when you will descend and that the trumpet will sound that the dead in Christ will rise and that we will meet you be together with you forever. Lord, let us live that way. Let us live with that hope, not putting our hope in this life, in this world, but putting our hope ultimately and only in you, and that that hope and that that faith would manifest in us living boldly for you and according to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.